0: You know, so all of us have a family. All of us grew up in a family. Some of us are families that we grew up in. We love. We love our families, we have great memories with the family that you grew up in. You have memories of holidays and traditions and family trips and for some of us, our family is the place of our deepest joy. It's the place of our deepest happiness. For others of us, you wish you got a different family. You wish that you grew up in a different family. Maybe for you, you grew up in a broken home and you spent much of your childhood or teenage years Going in between houses of your parents or spending time at a friend's house and sitting around their table and thinking, I wish my family was more like this. And so for you, your your family is one of deep pain, of regret. There's places in those relationships that you wish you could have a do-over in. There's conversations, things that you said, things that were said to you that you wish you could go back and replay those things. And you think, I would do something differently. I would, I would make a different choice in my family. But the reality is, is that all of us come from somewhere. And, and that family that we come from, as we're going to see in this series, has an enormous impact on our future family. See, the thing is, for many of us, we think, I wish I could change where I came from, but many of us don't realize we can actually change where we're going. And so in this series that we've called Future Family, what we're looking at is how do you rewrite, how do you build a future family that has the best of what you grew up with, but also is maybe a little bit different. And so in this series, we're going to look at a variety of different things when it comes to family and relationships. But one of the things I want us to see is how powerful our family and relationships are. And so to start this series, we're going to ask a, a simple question where we're going today. What is the goal of your family? What is the goal of your family? Think for a moment. What was the goal of the family you grew up in? Could you define it? Can you look back on the family that you grew up in and define the goal of the family you grew up in? See, the thing is, is that all of us have a goal. As a parent, you have a goal. As a grandparent, you have a goal. As some of us will call this our parenting philosophy or our, or our grandparenting philosophy. But I love what comedian Dustin Nickerson says about parenting. Take a look at this video. Sometimes non-parents will ask these ridiculous questions, you know, like, Dustin, what would you say is your parenting philosophy? <laughs> like survival? What do you want me to say? <laughs> What's my parenting philosophy? We do not negotiate with terrorists. That's it, that's... that's a good philosophy. I mean, I can resonate with that. But the thing is, here's the thing about parenting philosophies and parenting goals, is everybody has one. And, and here's how you know, because you have arguments when it doesn't go your way. You get frustrated, if you're a parent, you get frustrated when, when your toddler or your teenager doesn't fulfill your parenting goal. If you're a grandparent, you get frustrated when your kids or your grandkids or the person your kid is married to doesn't do what you want them to do. We get frustrated about that. But here's the thing. Almost none of us ever articulate what our goal is. But, but here's the thing. You're going after your goal with as much energy as you can muster you are doing everything in your power to fulfill the goal that you have that you've never told anybody about. And growing up, your parents had a goal, whether they articulated it or not. Here here are a couple of examples of of some of the family goals. For some, the goal is to simply have fun. To not be too serious in your family. It's to just have fun. For, For some married couples, it's simply to survive. It's simply... It's not necessarily about being happy. It's just staying married. That's just the goal. For some, their aim as a parent is for their kids to grow up and have everything they didn't have. You ever heard a parent say that? I just want to give my kid everything I didn't have. For some parents, their goal is for their kids to just not do anything stupid or embarrassing. You just think, "I, I just want you to survive. Just get to 18. Just don't. Or maybe you've said this. Just don't embarrass me. Maybe your parents told you that. Just don't embarrass me. For some, because of a background of abuse or abandonment, the goal is to be as close as possible in your family. To maybe have a relationship with your child that you didn't have with your parents. In some families, the goal is simply to keep the peace. There's always somebody in the family that sets everything off They set every single family gathering off. Everybody walks on eggshells around them. Maybe it's an addiction that people are walking around that they just don't talk about. And so for some families, the goal is to simply never face this one topic or conversation or person. So you just keep the peace. And you sit there and you think, when are we gonna talk about this? When are we actually gonna like say something about this? But it's the thing you don't talk about. For other families, the goal is centered around school, getting into the right college, getting the right steps, so that you have the right future, you have the right job, you have the correct house. For others, it's all about sports. It's all about scholarships. It's all about winning. I see this with tons of dads. I remember when our kids first started playing sports, and when we really held off on sports with our kids. And so I remember... Our, our boys were eight and nine years old and they started playing baseball and the dad said, man, your, your kids are so far behind. And I stood there and I was watching his son and my sons and, and my three sons. They'd never played baseball before in their life and they were better than this kid's this, this dad's kid. And, and he said, you know, we've been going to baseball camp since he was five. And I said, why? He goes, he's going to go pro. <laughs> you know what the funny thing is? Here, here's, here's the thing. Almost every dad standing on a sideline thinks their kid's gonna go pro. Thinks their kid is gonna get a full ride. Like less than 0.0001% of people go pro. But how many people in our lives think, "If, if if my kid doesn't get the right GPA, if my kid doesn't get the right scholarship, if I don't hurry up and get them in the right classes, and here's what happens in our families, you ready? That becomes the entire goal. And do you know why that becomes the goal? Here's the sneaky thing. We say as parents, it's for my kids. I want my kid to have this great life. But actually, it's so that we can go to the next barbecue with our friends and be like, hey, so my, my kid got a full ride for academics. My kid got this scholarship. It, it's actually about us as parents. It's actually about us as grandparents. It really has nothing to do with them. It's really sneaky how that happens. So here's, here's the question as we start this series. For your family, what's your goal? If you're not sure what it is, maybe you can articulate what the goal was of the family you grew up in because there is a very good chance you are either continuing that or you are rebelling as hard as you can against that. Thinking, my family's not going to be like that? So here's the second sneaky question Is it the right goal? Is it the right goal? Because make no mistake, whatever goal you have for your family and relationships, you are sacrificing for that. You are sacrificing. I've watched countless families sacrifice their family on the altar of standing on the sideline of a field. You are sacrificing for that. You're potentially sacrificing relationships with friends, with your kids to push them. See, we have to step back. As we start this series, we have to step back to ask, one, what is the goal of what I'm trying to do? And the second one is, is it even the right goal? Like, if I get it, will I even be happy with it? Will I want it? See, and here's the thing. I think that most families, most parents, most grandparents, we go after the wrong goal and we figure it out too late. We figure it out too late. But the whole point of this series is that it's not actually too late to change your future family. See, in the passage that we read earlier in Luke 15, Jesus tells a story that actually gets into what the goal of family is. And on your Connect card, if you check the Next Step email, we're actually going to send to you tomorrow just a simple way for you to go through asking, what, what is it that I'm trying to do in my family? What is it that I'm trying to do with my group of friends? Because many of us will, will, will be family members to, to friends, to their kids, to, to our small groups. But we want to really articulate, and we're going to kind of play this out in this series, of what is my goal, and is it the right goal? Now, in this story, um, a, as we read earlier in Luke 15, it's often known as the prodigal son. And several years ago, Tim Keller wrote an, a fantastic book called The Prodigal God, which I'm actually going to pull a few things from for today's message. And I mentioned earlier that if you're looking for resources, you can scan the QR code that'll be up on the screen here at the end, or stop at the Welcome Center and get some, uh, just a list of resources. But, but let me set the stage of this story. In Luke 15, Jesus is telling um, three different stories to groups of people. There's two groups of people in this crowd that Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the sinners and the prostitutes who are standing there, and then he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious elite. And he tells three stories about things that were lost, things that were important to people, to to tell us not only who God is, but also to tell us what God is like. See, and in this story of this father and two sons, we not only get a picture of who we are and how we respond to God, but we get a picture of what family is supposed to be like. So this is what it says in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. It says, Jesus also said, a man had two sons. As I read this, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to listen to this. Figure out if you can see what the goal of this family is. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So the father distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. So here, let me give you a couple of pictures here. okay before we read about the older brother. The first is in this family, the the younger son comes to his dad and says, hey, I would like to get my inheritance now. Now, in this culture, you don't get your inheritance and you don't get it today until what? The father's dead. So the younger son comes to the dad and says, hey, dad, I would really like for not only to have my inheritance, but what he's also saying is, I would like for you to be dead. Now, this is an incredibly, I, I mean, imagine this moment. I mean, maybe you in your just teenage angst at some point said to your parents, like, I wish you weren't around. Maybe you've had that thought about a family member. But in this culture, the older son would get two-thirds of the estate and the younger son and any remaining siblings would get what's left. Now, to be able to give the younger son his one-third, the father would have to sell off land. Now, if you sell things quickly, what happens? What happens? You sell it at a loss you don't get you don't get your best price it's not like the father could just be like hey let me pull up my app and just get my stocks here and just send it to you i'm like that's totally fine no this would take time for the father to do this now in this culture even the sinners and the prostitutes who are hearing this story would be just aghast at the audacity of the son to say this because basically what the son is saying is i no longer want to be in this family i just want to get what's mine and so the younger son gets it. And, and here's what I don't want you to miss about the father. The father, because we just think of the father's grace as we're going to see as, as him running out to his son. But the father's grace is also seen in how he lets his son go. See, the father's grace and compassion is also saying, okay, you can have that. See, one of the hardest things uh, as a parent is to watch your kids make a decision and think, I know exactly how this is gonna end. And let it happen. And now step in. And so the father says, okay. And so the son takes his money. And, and don't miss this, the younger son, in this story, when Jesus is telling this, he's, he's pointing the younger son towards the sinners and the prostitutes and he's saying, you know, th- this is this group. And it's easy to see the younger son in a family. It's easy to see that in our lives. It's easy to see, you know, this is when we go out and we sin and and we, you know, go after what's mine. And, you know, I want to get get my life. Nobody can tell me what authority is. No one can tell me what to do. I'm going to, you know, in our culture, we talk a lot about like self-discovery. I'm going to discover who I am. Like this is what the younger son's doing. But don't miss this. As As a parent or a grandparent or as a friend, sometimes to find God people have to go to a far-off place. Sometimes to find God, people have to go to a place and hit hit rock bottom. And some of us, when you think about your family, whether the family you're in, the family you grew up in, you can pick out the younger brothers. Maybe you're the younger brother. You're, You're the you're the one that caused the problems in the family. You broke the rules. Maybe you're the child that your parents made rules for. Like they made family rules because of you. <laughs> That's the younger brother. And it's easy to look at the younger brother and be like, well, yeah, that, you know, that, that kid's a mess. That guy's a mess. But then we see the older brother. The older brother is a mess in a, in, a, in a different way. As they're throwing this party, look in verse 25. Now, the older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet, you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, the older brother looks at his dad And says, you you didn't give this to me. Look at all the things that I've done. This is how we treat God many times. This is how followers of Jesus many times. We think, God should give me this life. God should answer these prayers. Why? Because I've been a good person. I'm a good dad. I'm a good good spouse. I'm, I'm a good boss. I'm a good friend. I deserve these things. Many of us think that because of how often we read our Bible, how often we serve, that God should bless us simply because we did those things. But we actually just want... Blessings from God instead of actually getting God. And so here's, here's what's incredible about this. In verse 12, it's very easy to skip over this. I miss it. It says, the father, he says, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. To me. So the father distributed the assets to them. So when the younger son got his inheritance, the older son got his. In this moment, the father no longer has anything, okay? So now, the younger son comes back, and the father kills the fattened calf, the best. I mean, this is like pulling out the best, like, this is the best, like, beef tenderloin that you could just, like, put on a smoker. It's amazing, okay? And what, is the, what does the older son say? That's not yours to give. The father says, everything I have is yours. And the older son is sitting there going, yeah, it's all mine. You just gave away mine again. I mean, think in your family, if you're the the older son, you're the older brother of your family, you're the older sister of your family, and you look at your family growing up, and you're like, how many times are we gonna do this for, for this person? How many times are we just gonna Bend over backwards for this person. How many times until they're going to get it? How many times do we have to do this? How many times do we have to clean up this mess? How many times do we have to forgive this? How many times do we have to go through this? I want you to feel, I want you to feel the frustration that the older son feels. As Jesus looks at these Pharisees who are the epitome of holiness, the epitome of righteousness and morality. Because the older son is just doing things, they're obeying God to get things from God. See, and I don't want you to miss this because it's easy as a parent to think that your child who follows all the rules is right with God. It's really easy to think that. It's really easy to think, you know, The child that's a wreck needs God's grace, but this child over here that follows all the rules and never does anything wrong and is actually just the apple of my eye is fine. And what Jesus says is actually both of them are broken. Both of them missed God. Both of them missed the Father. See, and I want you to see for a moment just the the grace that the Father has. Because maybe for you, I I can totally relate to the older brother. There have been numerous times in my life where I looked at my life and I looked at what I felt like God hadn't given to me, things that I felt like other people got, and I thought, but I'm, I'm a good Christian. Like, I'm trying really hard. But in that moment, do you know what we're doing? I actually just want things from God. I mean, think about your prayer life for a moment. Do you spend more time asking for things from God, or do you just spend time asking for God? Most of us never ask for God. I just—I have a list of things. I have a shopping list for God. I have things that God should give to me. And this is what the older brother's saying. He says, Dad... I've been here, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. In fact, I didn't leave. And you didn't give anything to me. I mean, feel this pain. This is, the, this is the conversation where you look at your parents and say, you didn't buy me a car when I turned 16. You didn't pay for my wedding when I got married. You didn't give this to me. You gave, you gave it everything to the, to the younger one. You gave it to the only son. You gave it to the only daughter. See, this picture is not just about God and our relationship with him. This this picture is about families. Do you feel the pain of this son? Now, here's the grace of the father. The grace of the father is one, as I said earlier, giving his son the inheritance. Saying, okay, you, you want this? Here you go. Now, some of us as parents and grandparents We we know the pain of releasing a child in that way. We We know the pain of a child slamming a door and tires squealing as they drive away. Maybe you were that child. And the grace that the father gave to him. But then when the son comes home, what does the text say? That the father watched for him. The father watched for him. And when the son was a long way off, the father picked up his robe and ran, which is not something in this culture that men did. Men did not run. You came to the father. The father waited for you. you did, the father did not go out to meet you. See, in Jesus, as he, as he looks at this crowd, as he looks at us, he says, your father in heaven runs out to meet you. See, some of us have this idea that God is just waiting for us. God has his arms folded at us, and he's just disappointed in us. And the son, just beaten and humiliated, drags himself home, and the father picks him up. And the father hugs him. And the father says, let's get him cleaned up. Let's get the best clothes on him. Let's throw a party because he's here. Notice what the father doesn't say. Oh, you want him to come back? Oh, you're hungry. You realized it was great here. You realized that maybe I wasn't the worst parent ever. What does the father not? The father doesn't, doesn't tell him anything about what, the interaction. See, but here's our picture of God. Our picture of God is that God is just going to remind us of everything that we did wrong. Like, I remember growing up as a kid just thinking, man, like, God is just waiting to be like, oh, yeah? Do you remember? Do you remember when you did this? No, the father, God, the father just, he remembers no more. He remembers no more. He doesn't say, hey, l- let's see if you're sincerely Sorry. See, one of the reasons that I think this passage is, is not just about God and us, but also about our family and relationships is because the people that we're the closest to are the ones that we save some of our worst words for. Like, as a dad, as, a, as a, my personality, I, I love justice. I love when people get justice and get what's coming to them. I love that. Like, I feel so comforted in that, okay? I, I have no problem confessing that. And and it makes total sense to me when people get what they deserve, even when I get what I deserve. It makes total sense to me. I read through this text, and I think, man, this was like the dad moment. Like the speech that I would have for this kid, man, it would have been rehearsed. It would have been amazing. I would have had a PowerPoint and, like, you know, an object lesson. I would have had it all. But do you know what the dad has? The dad has a hug. That's what the Father has for him. He's a hug. Some of us, what we need to hear right now is that God doesn't have judgment for you, He has a hug. He has a hug for you, He has has a, a kiss, He has an embrace. But the Father's not done because He goes in and He throws the party. And his son stands out. The older son stands out there. Yeah, I just imagine him with his arms folded. Like, have you ever been so mad that like you couldn't enjoy the moment somewhere? I have. I've ruined, I've ruined events for people because I couldn't enjoy the moment. Like I I, the older son makes so much sense to me. Okay? I, I totally understand the older son. Following rules, justice, he didn't get what he deserved. I'm not going in there because this party's not for me i should- you didn't give me a goat a goat a goat this he is upset because he didn't get a goat i this makes the older brother makes so much sense to me i i I feel his pain and I just think, man, like you should have gotten the goat. I mean he's going to be on a counselor's couch like I just wanted a goat like i mean that's. And he stands out there with his arms folded and the dad goes out and says, will you come in? Well, I can't come in. Do you know why he can't come in? It's not because the son came home, because the brother, this older son has already said he won't go in. He's already said he's mad. And when you're justice, when you're justice oriented and when you say I'm mad and I can't do something, you can't do it. Like you, you will die not doing it. Okay? And the father says, but your brother's back. And then the father says, everything I have is yours. Which, as the older son, I would be thinking, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is mine now. And you just keep giving it to this kid. But do you know what the father does? The father invites him to come back in. And then he says, I'll be in there. He doesn't force them to come in? I mean, how many times in families do we force people to do what we want? See, the older brother, I love what Tim Keller says about it. He says, as long as you're trying to earn your salvation by controlling God through goodness, you will never be sure you you have been good enough for him. You simply aren't sure God loves and delights in you. See, the reason I've always resonated with the older brother is because I, it's very easy for me to read the Bible and read verses like John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world, and to believe that God loves me. But for the longest time, I did not really believe that God liked me or delighted in me. And some of us, we grew up in families. You grew up with parents or grandparents or siblings. And you thought, well, yeah, you love me because that's what family family's supposed to love. But I don't know if you delight in me. And so then when we go to God, we think, well, yeah, God, God is supposed to love me. But I don't know if God delights in me. I don't know if God smiles at me. Does God laugh with me? Does God enjoy me? And the Father Stands there with the older son. And this is what's running through the older son's mind. Do you enjoy me? Do you delight in me? Do you like me? You don't throw me a party. See, and both of them miss the father. See, in the story, do you see, do you see yourself in, in this family? Do you, see, do you see the people in your family, the makeup of your family? Do you see who you are? See, here's who the, who the father is. This is what he does. The father gives grace and mercy to his kids. The father's grace, his compassion of releasing his kids, of giving them space. When the son came home, gives him grace. He doesn't remind it. See, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that the goal of family and relationships is to reflect the heart of God. The goal of family and relationships is to reflect the heart of God. See, when you're a follower of Jesus, when people look at the way that you treat those around you, the people closest to you, they should look at your life the way that you treat them, and they should think, that's what God is like. And whether you believe that they're doing that or not, they actually are. If you're a parent, your kids watch the way that you parent, my kids watch the way that I parent, and I'm communicating to them, this is what God as a father is like. This is what I believe God as a father is like. So what's the heart of God? What's that look like? So, We see it in the father, like I said already. He lets his kids choose their way. He pursues them. He goes after them. He goes out to the young son to meet him. He goes out to the older son who refuses to come into the party. He could, he could sit in the party and be like, you know what, if my older son doesn't want to come in, if he wants to miss this, fun, like, that's him. That's his choice. I'm not going to go get him. But instead, he goes out and says, come in. He watches for his kids. He gives them space when they demand it. He's generous to them. Here's a big one. His love and attachment to them is not based on them. See, this is a big one as we think about God and how we relate to God and then how we relate in our families. But when a relationship is ruptured in the story, the father moves to repair it. The father moves to repair it. He doesn't wait for the other person to come repair it. See, when we sin, when we go off to a faraway land in our own lives, God comes to meet us. When we rupture a relationship with God, he sends Jesus to come and make it right. The Apostle Paul in Romans said that before we knew we were sinners, Christ died for us. Before we knew the relationship with God was ruptured, Christ rescued us to repair that relationship. The goal of family and relationships is to reflect the heart of God. Not the justice of God, not the discipline of God, the heart of God. So here's my question for you as a parent and as a grandparent. Does your parenting, does your grandparenting, does your relationships reveal the heart of God? Does it reveal the heart of God? Does it reflect the heart of God? See, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do this, but I think your relationships would actually improve if you did. So here's a couple of ideas on on what this looks like. As I mentioned earlier, if you check the Next Step email box, we're going to, i send you tomorrow just how to walk through this, but here's a couple of ways. In relationships, the heart of God, reflecting the heart of God, gives people space to go to a faraway land. It's generous. It moves towards the other people in the relationship, not away from them. When a relationship is ruptured, it repairs it. It reconnects the relationship. Think about discipline for a second And, and disciplining a child. When you discipline your child, does your child think this is what God's discipline is like? Let me give you an example. I remember when we first had kids, and, 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 you know, 10 years ago, you know, it was, you know, giving your kids timeouts. Everyone was talking about spankings and if you should give spankings and things like that. See, as a parent, it's easy to fall into the trap of disciplining out of frustration and for quickness. Well, let me ask you something. Can you imagine putting? Can you imagine God putting you in timeout? I, I remember um, a parent telling me one time that when they grew up and they did something wrong, their parents actually made them stand on an ottoman in the center of the room as punishment. And I just thought I can't imagine God making you stand on something as punishment. So think for a moment. Does your discipline of your kids reflect the heart of God? Does it look like the father in Luke 15? See, if we're honest, for many of us, it it doesn't. I I just have a hard time picturing God just saying, you know what? Go to your room and cry it out. Instead, God goes, Let me pick you up. Okay, if you want you want to stay out here, that's that's okay. But I but I came to you. See, we won't reflect the heart of God in our relationships and family until we understand the heart of God. And many of us, the heart of God is, is justice, is, is pushing away, is rules. But the heart of God is more than that. I, I remember a few years ago, I was in a really just dark place spiritually and really struggling as a parent. And um, on our vacation the one year, I, I picked up this really thin book called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nowen. Maybe like eighty pages. And in it he he talks a little bit about Luke 15, but he spends the majority of the time talking about a Rembrandt painting. And here, here's the painting. I want you to see it. See, this is the picture of the heart of God. So, I want you to notice first, in your relationship with God, if you are like the younger son or the older son. You see, the younger son, he has one shoe. And for some of us in our relationship with God, that's exactly, we are just dirty, broken, humiliated. He has no pride. You see the older son right next to him? I mean, he's just very piously looking down. You know what's interesting about this painting, as as I reflected on this years ago, is the older son would love to have the father's embrace, but would never stoop that humiliation to get it he'd never stooped down to it now think about your families where's your family in this painting where's your closest relationship in this painting for some you're you're the dad waiting for the child to come home You're you're the heartbroken parent, waiting, standing on the porch, scanning the horizon, picking up your phone every time, hoping, or maybe even dreading a call, wondering if it's another just mistake, another rock bottom. But our first question is, as we start this series, do you believe that this is the heart of God? Because this is the heart of God for you. This is the Father. This is God the Father who wraps around you. This is what we fall on. This is why we sang this song earlier. I want to leave this up. Listen to these words from I am your beloved. You have bought me with your blood. And on your hand you've written out my name. I am your beloved, the one The Father loves. Mercy has defeated all my shame. And I I love this line in that song. The one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. This is the Father. This is the Father. As I mentioned earlier, as we close, we're going to by taking communion together. And we're going to leave this painting up in this moment as we prepare to take communion. And as we do, the band is going to lead us in a song. But as we take communion, I want you to remind yourself, this is our moment as followers of Jesus, to remind ourselves to remember that this is the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is not to remind you of what you did. The heart of the Father is not to bring your worst mistakes back up. The heart of the Father is a hug, is an embrace. And so I want to invite you when you're ready, you can come forward down these aisles and and get communion and go around the sides. And when you get back to your seats, I want to encourage you to, to continue to sing with us. In a few moments after we all get communion, Jerry, one of our elders, is going to lead us through communion in this moment. And so I want to just give you a moment right where you're at to just take a moment. Maybe for you, you need to remind yourself, you need to say, God, like I had to many years ago, God, help me to believe that you are the Father who delights in me. Or maybe for you, you're at a place where you're you're the younger son, you're humiliated, you're broken you've gone to a far-off land, or you have, a, you have a child, you have a friend in a far-off land? So Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that before we come home, you run out to meet us. When we're a long way off, you run out. God, I thank you that when we're Standing on the side with our arms folded, and we're mad and we're frustrated and we're angry because we didn't get from you what we think we should get from you. God, I thank you that you come out to meet us. I thank you that your grace picks us up, embraces us. I thank you that your grace celebrates. And so God, I pray for parents right now who are in a place for family members, for friends, for those of us who have friends, people we dearly love who are in a far-off land right now. God, may we have your heart for them. May we have your compassion for them. Father, as we take communion, as we remind ourselves that we did not come finding you, but you came finding us. In your grace and in your love and compassion, in your name, amen.